This is Everything Energy. Produced by the International Energy Agency. Hello and welcome back to Everything Energy, the IEA's new podcast where we take a look at current energy issues as well as the future of the global energy system. I'm Tanya Dahan. And I'm Jad Mawad. We taped this podcast episode last week, the day after we hosted a ministerial roundtable on Iraq, where we were very fortunate to be joined by Iraq ministers of finance, electricity and oil, as well as a senior advisor to the prime minister and a number of high level officials and CEOs. In this episode, we talked to Ali Safar, the IEA's Middle East and Africa program manager, who will walk us through the main challenges facing Iraq as it seeks to reform its energy sector. Hi, Ali, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tanya. Um, so first up, uh, can you give us a bit of context into why the IEA has been working with Iraq? The IEA has been working with Iraq for around a decade now. Uh, we first uh, did our major piece of work in 2012 when we published the Iraq Energy Outlook, which was the single most comprehensive study of Iraq's energy sector, going through oil, gas, uh, electricity, and seeing their intersections with, uh, with uh, the broader economy. So that was in 2012, and ever since then, we've been in an engagement with Iraq. We have a memorandum of understanding with the government of Iraq. And last year, we had the opportunity with the, the, the new government at the time to, to look at the country again. It's a phenomenally important country. It lies at the center of global oil markets. Over the last decade, it has doubled its oil production. Um, the oil story is relatively well known. But that's not even necessarily the most interesting part. That's important for global oil security. But the way we see it at the, at the International Energy Agency is that the future of Iraq's economic prosperity and of its security lies in the energy sector even beyond oil. Oil is interesting. It gives you um, or it can bring in considerable revenues for governments. But electricity and natural gas can unlock the kinds of industries and the kinds of economic linkages that can make Iraq a more prosperous country. And these are the areas we've been trying to work on increasingly over the last couple of years. So electricity and natural gas, these were the really the two main topics of the report that uh, you wrote last year. Um, walk us through some of the key findings, because you just said that the oil story is pretty well known by now. Iraq has had to tackle some pretty extraordinary political uh, security challenges over the last uh, two decades and somewhat managed uh, to, to turn around the oil um, industry. But it still has tremendous challenges on electricity. And this is a country that is so rich in natural resources. Um, and yet the electricity, the power uh, uh, story remains uh, such a critical internal issue. Just tell us exactly a little bit why that is so complicated and and. Um, how the how can the government uh, or how what does the IEA suggest the government do about this? Yeah, Jed, as you say, I mean, people who look at the electricity sector in Iraq or even the natural gas sector in Iraq are kind of taken aback because there has been quite considerable investment being made in both those sectors, but there's still a lot of seepage, a lot of wastage, and the the, the service provision isn't to where it needs to be. Um, so we took a really detailed look at this last year. Um, when we published uh, a report called Iraq's Energy Sector, A Roadmap to a Brighter Future. And what we found is that, in fact, Iraq's generating capacity should be enough uh, to actually meet even summer peak demand in electricity. It's got around 32 gigawatts of capacity. 
But because of poor maintenance and because of you know the improper use of, of fuel or suboptimal uh, use of fuel, you get a drop off in efficiency in a lot of that operating capacity. So uh, you lose around half. And then what power is generated, and a further 50 to 60% is lost in the transmission and distribution lines. So we were quite uh, astonished to find these things out. Um, and we, uh, we, we, laid, we laid out the concerns in this report. Uh, another element, which is really, really important, is if you look at the way the Iraqi electricity sector is uh, structured at the moment, you have the, the grid utility, so the government utility that provides electricity most of the time. Um, that provides the vast share of what uh, the average Iraqi uh, household would consume. But then, it, you know, there are brownouts and there are blackouts. There are times when there's no electricity during the day. And a lot of households uh, then have contracts with neighborhood generators. These are private neighborhood generators, often fueled by diesel, very polluting, very loud, very dirty, um, but very necessary as well because they provide the additional electricity that uh, can make uh, the average Iraqi household a little bit more comfortable, especially in the summer months. When we did our uh, when we did our questioning and we basically sent out questionnaires to to households in in Baghdad, and found that uh, some Baghdadi households were uh, spending up to twenty five thousand Iraqi dinars uh, per ampere. What that translates to is one thousand three hundred dollars per megawatt hour. So it immediately became clear to us what the problem was. The, the flip side of that coin is that the grid-scale utility, the utility that is providing most of the electricity, barely charges anything. It's subsidized at a rate of over 90%. And so a lot of the capital was being accrued by these neighborhood generators. And we wanted to look at the ways that it, it, the, the options Iraq has to basically break that cycle. Because at the moment, the, the grid utility or the government utility is not taking in revenues. And because it's not taking in revenues, it can't make the necessary investments. And because it can't make the necessary investments, the, the service provision diminishes and gives a larger role to these private generators. So how can that be remedied? That was the key question from last year's work. To, to put it in another context, we estimated that in 2018, uh, these, grids, uh, these um, private neighborhood generators captured around $4 billion in revenue. That same year, the capital expenditure budget for the Ministry of Electricity was $2.5 billion. So how do you transfer that capital away from the neighborhood generators towards the state utility so that they can provide secure, reliable, and affordable electricity for your right? That was the key question. And I think we laid out a quite you know, um, solid plan for the Iraqi government in our report. So what is the shortfall? What are the uh, needs uh, to fill? You mentioned that based on the installed capacity, Iraq could meet um, its, its power needs, but because of various losses along the way, uh, you end up with about, what is it, a quarter of uh, effective uh, power? So is that about the, the shortfall? And so what, what are the investment needs? What are the, 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 the uh, investment needs that the government needs to put in? Um, to remedy so, that? Uh, we looked at the various op options available to Iraq. We broke it into kind of immediate uh, uh, service provision, 
the, the, the kinds of investments that would provide immediate uh, returns. Um, we've broken up also into medium and longer term issues. So the immediate things that Iraq, uh, that Iraq could do is things as simple as cooling down power plants. When power plants become excessively hot, they lose efficiency, they provide less electricity. Um, uh, we, we, we provided uh, some details on what could be done on the distribution network, which is more, which is where most of the, uh, uh, the, the losses are made. But more, uh, more fundamentally, we outlined a plan for tariff reform. Like I said, a lot of the revenues, it's not that Iraqi households are not willing to pay for electricity. They are paying for electricity. At the rate that are, that's being charged to uh, a lot of households in Baghdad, that's between two and four times as much as the average consumer bill in Germany. So it's about actually just moving those revenues from one supplier to another. And tariff reforms are the way to do this. If the government can implement a strategy where they can uh, have a staggered tariff that is uh, that uh, makes sure that the most affluent are paying for the excessive electricity they're using, then that does three things. On the first, the, the, on the first kind of basis of that reform, you get more revenue as a utility, and therefore you can make more investments. But it also gives a price signal on the demand side. If people are paying for electricity from their grid operator, then they will use uh, uh, electricity more efficiently. Because at the moment, the, uh, the increase in demand every year runs at around 10%. So the Iraqis will not be able to build enough capacity every year to make up for that shortfall. Something needs to be done to trim that, that increase in demand. And the price signal uh, is, is, a, is a good way uh, to, to do that. The third element of this reform is if you can reform these tariffs, then what you could do is you can incentivize private sector investment. And that's really, really important because if there is a fair price that represents cost on the electricity, then you can get private investors to put down their own capital and then reduce the burden on the state for these investments because currently most of the investments that are made are taken out of the state pot. And that state pot has to pay for schools, it has to pay for hospitals, it has to pay for, road, it has to pay for uh, roads and, 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 uh, and bridges and everything else. And it's extremely burdened. So the, the electricity sector tariff was the kind of one of the, the, the main outcomes of this report. Uh, and we've been engaging with the Iraqi government specifically on this. Um, if uh, this was actually the subject of a, of a discussion and a request, a formal request, from the previous Minister of Electricity to our Executive Director uh, in uh, late last year to support uh, a tariff reform process and we agreed. And that was actually the last time uh, I visited Baghdad was to launch that in September. Two things have changed since the report came out in April last year. Uh, Iraq has a new government and oil prices have collapsed. So can you tell us what the impact has been uh, of the price collapse on uh, Iraq's energy sector. So yeah, you rightly mentioned that uh, the oil prices have tumbled since uh, the last time we were working on Iraq. And why is this important? We look at a group of producing countries, producer economies, we call them. These are countries that are dependent on oil and gas revenues to fuel their broader economy. And even by that cohort of people, so, or of countries, so even by 
comparison to other producer economies, Iraq is an outlier. It is extremely dependent on oil and gas or oil revenue specifically uh, for its entire economic output. The government is financed almost solely through uh, oil. And because of that, uh, it becomes the, the, the employer of last resort. It is a big, um, over uh, overburdened government, uh, a lot uh, that, that is responsible for a lot of the spending throughout the entire economy. So when oil prices shift, you see instantly a feedback into what they can spend, what the Iraqi government can spend. And let's put this into context. Oil prices at the start of the year were between $60 and $70. By April, at their, at their kind of lowest point, they had fallen below $20 per barrel. So Iraq's state revenues went from around $6, $6.5 billion a month to less than $1.4 billion in April. And again, to, to put this into an, uh, you know, an even deeper context, Iraq needs around $4.5 billion a month just to pay salaries and pensions. So they were running huge deficits just to pay uh, wage bill, effectively. So when they're, when they're under that kind of pressure, they cannot spend on capital expenditures, on, on, on capital projects, on power plants, on gas projects, on infrastructure projects. Uh, and, and so we see kind of a stagnation in, uh, uh, in these projects uh, being, being awarded and carrying on. So uh, in one estimate that we've already published, around 7,000 megawatts of capacity additions are at risk because of the fact that Iraq doesn't have a capital expenditure budget. Uh, so this has really, really uh, changed uh, the, the outlook for Iraq. As you mentioned, the second element of, uh, of significant change since the start of the year has been the fact that the new Iraqi government has, been, uh, has come, into, come into place. And they came into they came into governance at the same time that oil prices had fallen uh, and are looking with fresh eyes at this issue of oil dependence so there's been a huge shift now towards looking at structural reforms that would make iraq's economy less dependent on oil revenues and more resilient to future price changes and this is again where we really believe that the international energy agency has a key role to play and a strong voice um, that can support the Iraqi government in its initiatives. Because the kinds of things that the Iraqi government is talking about in its uh, uh, economic reform package will necessarily need industrial growth, uh, that is non-oil industrial growth, and it will need, in our opinion, a very stable electricity supply, if you can get stable, secure, and affordable electricity, that can enable the industries to proliferate in the first place. But also, if you go upstream of that, there's also the, 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 the story that, uh, of natural gas. Iraq currently flares a lot of natural gas, around 18 billion cubic meters per year. And if it were to find a way to capture this, put it towards uh, electricity to enable those industries, but also to use gas to power or to as a feedstock for other industries, we believe that can create a lot of value for the Iraqi government. So, in fact, this is one of the key topics that the IEA has been talking about in general for oil and gas dependent economies. And I think you were also involved in a report um, not too long ago about diversifying the economies of major um, producing economies. So um, this was a uh, a warning that had come at a time when prices were high. And today, unfortunately, um, 
prices are low and the clock is ticking. In fact, I think the Iraqi deputy prime minister called his uh, agenda an agenda of radical reform. And in our conference yesterday, I believe he also said that the window of opportunity is closing and closing rapidly. So there's a real sense of urgency here for these countries. And some of the alarm um, bells that um, that the IA has been ringing about really this over-dependence by some countries on single source of revenues or single uh, source of exports uh, is uh, it's quite dramatic. You mentioned uh, natural gas and flaring. I think Iraq also imports natural gas at a very high price from its neighbors. So uh, the fact that at the same time Iraq flares gas from its oil production but has to import gas is a pretty... Uh, um, is a is a is a pretty complicated or pretty uh, pretty stark reminder of the kind of uh, uh, of uh, priorities that they need to set. So walk us a little bit through what is this agenda of this new government and where does the energy sector or energy reform fit into this? So as you said, Jad, you know the window of opportunity is closing, and what we heard at the the uh, IEA Iraq Ministerial Roundtable that we hosted just yesterday, twenty third of July was that this government is going into this whole, uh, going into its, uh, its agenda and its new narrative with its eyes wide open. It realizes its constraints. It knows that, they, it, knows that it cannot uh, finance its way out of this in, in, in the traditional ways, that the government keeps paying for these large infrastructure projects or takes on additional bur- debt burdens to be able to finance it, etc. Currently, the way Iraq has operated is it's gone into partnership with these companies, with you know large uh, international companies, um, almost under EPC terms. So you know they they they, they will pay them. Uh, these companies will come in and do an engineering job, and then essentially that's it. The Iraqi government, what we heard from them yesterday, we heard from the Prime Minister's advisor for finance uh, yesterday, look, is looking to to reevaluate the way uh, Iraq has approached the international. Uh, private sector now. They, they are looking for long-term partners who can put their own equity uh, into Iraq's projects, who then have a vested interest, uh, a vested interest in, in, uh, in the stability and prosperity of Iraq for the long term. So essentially moving it from uh, one where the investments are a burden on the state to one where those burdens are alleviated and, and, and uh, given or shared with the private sector, who then, uh, quite rightly, will share uh, in, 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 in the fruits of that uh, investment as well. So that's kind of the, the fundamental crux of the, uh, the economic reform more broadly. It's how do you make things, uh, how do you make the environment a little bit kinder to the investors that Iraq so crucially needs for, uh, to stimulate uh, you know, its own prosperity? Uh, and we believe that the energy sector is a crucial component of this. It is the single largest source of investment in Iraq over the last 20 years. It will have a fundamental role to play um, in the success of diversification going forward. So uh, what's coming up next? What kind of work can we expect to see produced by the IEA on Iraq uh, in in the near future? So we've been working very closely with this government already, uh, and we expect to be um, in close uh, contact with them going forward. One area that we would like to do more work on to explore in more detail is this issue of natural gas. We see it as an area of uh, particular 
interest an area of particular waste, in fact. And like I said, 18 billion cubic meters a year. There's a high ethane component to that associated gas. You know, this is an issue of electricity or broader economic prosperity. So we're trying to, uh, we're, we're going to be trying to analyze just what the potential uh, for Iraq's broader economy is if these investments are made in, in the natural gas sector that could, uh, that could harness some of that, uh, some of that resource. So that's the next project to, to, uh, to try to uh, quantify the feedbacks to the Iraqi economy of, uh, of its investments in natural gas. But obviously, we will remain in close contact with the Iraqi government at the highest levels for a whole range of issues and also remain receptive to any requests they may have regarding IEA support beyond the gas sector, going into electricity or otherwise. I mean, there is a, a, a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of potential, whether you're talking about uh, oil, gas, electricity. So two other areas that I would like to personally work on uh, and harness the unique expertise of the IEA on are renewables, uh, an area that Iraq has uh, incredible potential in, uh, and energy efficiency. Let's not forget, this is a country that's coming out of uh, quite significant conflict. Whole uh, urban areas are going to have to be rebuilt, and studies in Iraq have shown that just thermal uh, um, insulation in buildings can reduce the energy consumption in those buildings by up to 90%. So, you know, I think that there's work to be done there. I think the IEA is a very natural partner to do that. Uh, and I'm looking forward to engaging at all levels uh, with Iraq to, to, to do this work. That's excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Ali, for sharing your thoughts on this very, very interesting um, uh, topic and a story uh, for Iraq and Iraq's reforms. Um, and the place of its energy sector. Uh, just a reminder to all our listeners that your reports, the report from last year, um, the report on producer economies, all of these reports are available on our website to download for free. And we will be looking forward to more of your analysis, Ali, on, um, on the IEA website. So thank you again for your time in joining us today. Thank you, Ali. Thank you for having me.